This is Leonard Fournette, and you listen to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the Epic Roster Watch Podcast, brought to you by RosterWatch.com. I am Alex Dunlap here with Byron Lambert. We're about to talk a lot about Byron's most recent stops on the Roster Watch training camp tour and some other news and notes from around the first slate of preseason games in the National Football League from a fantasy football perspective. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And to be entered into a drawing to receive a free pro membership at rosterwatch.com, make sure to leave a five-star rating and a review and leave your Twitter handle or your Instagram handle, however you want to be uh, contacted in case you are picked as a winner. Again, we're giving away free pro memberships to rosterwatch.com once we get to 400 five-star ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts. We're right around the corner, so go get that done. Put the podcast on pause. Scroll down. Just give us five stars. Leave your Twitter handle. Uh, get yourself in the running for that because we're going to be at 400 before we know it. Byron, what the hell is going on, brother? Man, just getting a quick breather before we head back out to see the Panthers and the Falcons and Bucks and Dolphins here in this next week. Maybe, maybe off chance we can squeeze in one of those joint practices between Carolina and the Bills. We'll see. We'll just have to see. It'd be nice. You, have you seen Buffalo yet? I forgot. It'd be nice, but it would potentially be at the sacrifice of only seeing bucks dolphins for one day and that sure is one you'd like to take in for two full days yeah i think so too well it'll be it'll be good we'll get to um get to get the insight from those but let's just start out just you the one you were at most recently was baltimore jacksonville so before that i believe we haven't even talked to philadelphia on this one what was your biggest takeaway from eagles camp sure let's begin in philadelphia it was a big night a big showcase at Lincoln Financial Field for the Eagles uh, with many of their fans present for this one, thousands of them actually. Uh, Big takeaway, I mean, Carson Wentz, he just still looks like a big NFL weapon at the quarterback position. How that translates to fantasy, I'm not sure. It's, you know, that I know a lot of folks that were bullish on Patrick Mahomes' uh, MVP prognostications last season are taking that same stance with Carson Wentz this season. I could see that from an NFL perspective. Don't necessarily see it from a fantasy perspective. I don't think those guys translate the same when it comes to that. But Carson Wentz certainly looks like you know, a wonderful NFL-style quarterback weapon out there. He looked good. Big takeaway let from me was you, that- Let me ask you something about that before you move on. Do you, do you think it makes sense right now that Kyler Murray's AD? I'm, I'm not sure about the ADPs, but I see Kyler Murray going before Carson Wentz basically in every simulation that I'm running right now. How do you feel about that? Is it, is it starting to get too high, Kyler's ADP, if he's going a lot of times above Carson Wentz? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, if just, I just, just, just was held just hostage curious. and had to make a choice and the ADPs don't matter, I'd probably – 
take Kyler as well. And these are two quarterbacks we know very, very well, of course. So uh, I'd say my biggest takeaway was the chemistry between Carson Wentz and Deshaun Jackson. It really is a perfect fit. So much of this comes down to just the style of quarterback that Carson Wentz is when you boil it all down. I mean, in the end of the day, he wants to break loose and throw the ball down the field. Deshaun Jackson still, you know, more than capable of completely, uh, 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 of separation, of creating separation, plenty of separation. You know, he looked like, he looked arguably, if not clearly, like the best receiver on the Eagles roster out there in this practice. And so certainly once you bake in ADPs, you know, I haven't really been interested in any Eagles wide receivers to date for this season. But if you bake in ADP, I think you can have a little interest in Deshaun Jackson. That's a nice connection that he's got with Carson Wentz there. And he's a player you can get pretty late. Who's got a lot of upside in any uh, given week there, Alex. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know it's like the, I know it's like the chalky default thing to say whenever it's one of these types of players like Deshaun Jackson, but I, I think I like him better in best ball, right? Because you don't need to pick the weeks that he's going to go off in that format. You just you just um, you just get them when they come. Whereas it might be hard to pick from week to week when Djax is going to go off. I mean, do you think he's going to do you think he's going to be like an eighty percent snap participant, like, or is well, he going to be more of just a, a situational weapon? You raise a good point, but I don't see him as a boom-bust player necessarily. You, you're, you're probably right that you're going to have to pick the right week for him to boom. But, and, of course, he's not going to come through every single week. But, I don't know, Deshaun Jackson looks like a guy who could be a pretty solid play you know, any given week. He could be a pretty decent play with a pretty solid floor uh, even to begin the season. So I'm not sure I see him you know, quite like a boom bust player, but to your point, it will be hard to, you know, difficult to predict when the, when the super monsters are coming. If you're in a deep competitive league, like if you're in a 16 team league and Deshaun Jackson is your wide receiver three, I think that would actually, you know, be fine to start the season. Well, if you were in a 16 team league and he was your wide receiver three, that would mean that he would need to be at least wide receiver 48, where he's going from to be value to be back in wide receiver three. He's currently going as wide receiver 51. So I think what you're saying makes sense, and I think it means that we're a little bit higher on him than consensus. With that said, I probably need to make a little note here, just DJX, maybe examine his ADP and get him up. I mean, he's going after dirt balls like Tyrell Williams. Just crazy to me. He's he's going after Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, that shouldn't be the case. I mean, I can see how you can – He's going to miss four games. He's going after James Washington, who it looks like Deontay Johnson's already beaten out based on the reports. Yeah, we should be de- taking Deshaun Jackson late over all those guys. And we're not all in on Deshaun Jackson, but, you know, average to moderate exposure at the end of your draft is is appropriate. Uh, other takeaway from the wide receiver group when uh, taking an Eagles practice, uh, the rookie, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, certainly looks functional already. Uh, definitely looks like he's on track to contribute you know, sooner than later, but definitely looks like a player who in year two, which I think most folks are looking towards, uh, will have an opportunity to supplant Alshon Jeffrey that you can even just see by the way they both play out there. He, he looks and plays a lot like Alshon does. And really that's going to be a duplicate asset. Uh, once our Sega Whiteside 
uh, is completely up and off the ground running. But so far, so good. I don't know how much we're going to get out of him in fantasy early, you know, for the season. But a lot like Damian Harris at running back in the Patriots, it's a guy they're getting ready that looks pretty good already. And I think that when it comes his time later in the season, uh, can be a functional contributor. So for those of you who have dynasty shares in J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, uh, it was definitely positive signs. Looks like, you know, like the good player that we had scouted on film uh, coming out. And then I'll tell you who the surprise was, Alex, getting far more run than I would have expected with the ones, you know, some with the twos, but I mean, I noted over and over again with the ones, I believe it was number 84, Charles Johnson. I can't understand what was going on. I don't know why he was in the lineup in that rotation that often with the ones and to some extent with the twos. So I don't know what's up with that. I, it's probably more of a preseason DFS guy to keep your eye on. I'm not sure that's going to translate to the regular season. I don't see why it would, but that's something that really stood out to me. I could not understand why Charles Johnson was getting so much run uh, with the first and second team out there, Alex. So he's going to be a guy at the wide receiver position. You're going to want to watch for preseason week two, three, four, uh, and beyond. And then, you know, Zach Ertz still true, truly the lead guy out there for the passing offense with his connection uh, with Carson Wentz. I mean, he's a real boss, and he's just sucking up and vacuuming up a ton of targets out there. I expect his role to pretty much continue in principle the way that it's been, and I'm not – I didn't leave thinking that Dallas Goddard was really going to affect Zach Ertz that much this year. Uh, And we saw the performance, three targets, 50 yards for Goddard last night. I certainly think we're going to get a a lot of things like that out of him this season. And he'll flash and be viable in given weeks. But anybody who's ready to fire up Dallas Goddard as like a top 10 tight end or something this year, I'm, I'm not sure that that's really wise. I think you'll be in the business of streaming if Goddard is the man that you draft, I mean, you may, you may roster him all year and, uh, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea to take Ertz where he's being taken. Yeah. But it's that, a bad yeah. idea. You, yeah. you can't take, I'm not getting any, I'm not getting any Ertz, but he did, he did look good and he was still clearly the lead target for Carson Wentz. So if you're in the business of getting Zach Ertz, it's not a bad pick. We just don't see a ton of value there. So, you know, I think the schedule is brutal. The schedule, it's, the, it's the worst tight end schedule via our metrics in the whole National Football League. From weeks, from weeks uh, five through week nine, they face four bottom eight matchups and one bottom 12 matchup. Yeah, it's going to be a tough run. And then you got, you know, Goddard cutting in a, a little bit there. I just say that uh, Dallas Goddard trending in the right direction. It's just, I'm not sure it's going to be the epic, you know, furious I just, rise I, I, I that the folks were hoping for. I understand. And while, like, I'm not trying to d- deny the fact that, you know, he looks good. You're the one out there seeing him, I'm sure. But, that, you know, he, he always looks good. I just think from a from a performance standpoint and just like a like a quantitative standpoint as far as what we need for fantasy points, usage, et cetera, there's a lot going against Zach Ertz at his current ADP at the 2-3 turn. I, I, I would rather have George Kittle if I was – paying up right there but honestly i would just rather wait another three rounds and nab either hunter henry or evan ingram possibly even see oj howard fall to that territory sometimes and to me that just makes a whole lot more sense it's a lot more prudent than giving up on one of these back end sort of rb1 types like a leonard fournette like a Devonte freeman etc that you could be getting there it's just the the opportunity cost of taking tight end that early 
coupled with the fact that it's the bad schedule, coupled with the fact that there are these other factors like these new, you know, Deshaun Jackson's there to take away targets. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside could take away targets. Alshon Jeffrey is not going to they, – they haven't lost anybody. Nelson Aguilar is still there, and they're talking about more 12 personnel. I just It's really hard for me to get on board with Zach Ertz at his current ADP. Yeah, I totally agree. I haven't gotten him in a single mock. I mean, all I'd say is that he looks good. I'm not really worried about – Probably not going to. He might not max out targets. I think the idea of Zach Ertz losing a whole lot of targets this year is probably probably folly to some extent. I mean, he should should regress some. But I guess my main takeaway was that Dallas Goddard is trending in the right direction. But I just don't see him as being a reliable option on a week to week base uh, either. If if that was your plan to go uh, get in on those Philadelphia tight ends late uh, through the back door there with Dallas Goddard. So that was. That was the takeaway there. Some of the preseason DFS guys that were on the cheat sheet last night out of Philadelphia were Josh Adams at running back, Boston Scott and Danelle Pumphrey, the running back positions. I don't know. I think Josh Adams got a little run last night. Might watch out for those other guys a little bit in week two uh, preseason. And, you know, Smallwood and Clinton are still None of those guys' core plays, man. Like, there are too many. I, I, I was looking at it, and I saw your, your suggestions. And I said, I can't make any of these guys' core plays. It's just there are too many of them. They're just – you never know what they're going to do with running backs. It's just – I'm not sure even moving forward that we're going to want to be using any of these Philadelphia guys. It's just well, – it's really, it's, re, it's really, really hard to decipher what the hell's going on. going to be very interesting to see what happens with Smallwood and Clement as they try to make this roster. I'm not sure if they both will. If, if the team could keep five running backs, certainly looks like, you know, Miles Sanders is going to be the – rookie running back that you know that they hoped when they drafted him and that should be the lead guy as the season progresses really flashed in the practice while I was there uh made big plays from you know a variety of you know formations and areas on the field and in the passing game he kind of really looked like that all-around guy they were definitely looking for I was pretty impressed with how much action Miles Sanders was getting in the red zone and how good he looked down there which you know I'm not sure to this point, I, a lot of folks, I, I think pretty concerned about Jordan Howard dominating the red zone uh, market share for the Eagles. I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. That said, Howard looks good. Darren Sproles looks like Darren Sproles. So that's the principal ro- rotation be some kind of Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, Darren Sproles rotation. And then behind them, it, you know, you're going to have a Smallwood or a Clement or both of those guys. I think still make the roster and probably get a little bit of action too. What so about Josh typical. Adams? Well, that is so probably come down to Adams, Smallwood, and Clement, right? I know Pumphrey they like on special teams, so I don't know if that gives him any kind of edge if they try to keep a fifth running back. But yeah, I mean somebody that there. Week is as good as done. Somebody there between Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, and Corey Clements probably going to be looking for a job you know, sooner than later, Alex. So, uh, interesting situation. <laughs> you going to hire him if you're a GM? Corey Clement. I could snoop around to Corey Clement, I guess, I think a little I could, bit. I guess I, could, I guess I could kick the tires on Corey Clement myself. That's the only one I'm interested in. I'd say ultimately we need to be viewing Miles Sanders as an RB3 that has RB2 upside uh, when we're, you know, if we're considering acquiring him in our drafts. 
I just can't. His ADP falls in a spot where there are other guys. I like James White more in PPR. I like Mark Ingram more in PPR. I think I like David Montgomery more from the very start of the season. I think Miles Sanders could get a little more run through the end. Yeah, he might. Maybe he'll be a good buy, kind of buy low candidate after the first few weeks of the season. I mean, he the, the, he really does look like a good player. So that's going to be one of the more interesting storylines to see unfold. Whereas I think you saw it with David Montgomery last night. I mean, that's, he's certainly got competition for touches too, not only in the backfield, but just all the mouths to feed in that Bears offense. You just get the feeling David Montgomery with going up only against guys like Tree Cohen and Mike Davis has a little more of a clear path to, you know, more of a traditional workhorse type role. I, I mean, I'll tell you, Miles Sanders at about 10 pounds lighter, about t- 211 out there. He doesn't, as nifty as he looked and versatile as he looked, he doesn't really look like a workhorse guy. And I, I don't believe that's how he was drafted. So you're going to see, you're going to see the, you know, typical Eagles rotation this year. It's just Miles Sanders going to be the best version of any of these players that they've had in recent years and, and, and should pull away as the season moves on much like carry on did last year, Alex. Let's just, let, let, let's go to the Jaguars Ravens camp start with the Jaguars. What's your biggest takeaway? I mean, Leonard Fournette centerpiece of the offense. Um, Nick Foles, probably the, one of the most undersold free agent acquisition narratives of the off season that that is potentially a huge ad for the Jaguars, a team that, you know, really have a formula for a ground and pound type approach still has a pretty good roster on the defensive side, have the pieces to ground and pound it on the offensive side. Now, if Nick Foles can keep the defensive defensive honest, which he, you know, he should be more equipped to do than Blake Bortles ever was. He seems to be in more command, understand the offensive playbook uh, very quickly. And, you know, they're rolling out Chris Conley, DJ Chark, and DD Westbrook as the three starting wide receivers with the Jaguars. It seems to be a good fit with Nick Foles, um, his arm and the type of passer that he is also a good way to stretch the defense a little bit and try to, open things up for Fournette, who who clearly has to be the centerpiece of this offense. So if Foles is a big upgrade for that team, the offensive line is, you know, appears to have returned to hell. So if this team can stay, you know, in a decent game script, they're in much better uh, position to do so uh, this year than they were last year. And if Leonard Fournette can stay healthy, I mean, he really is a guy that's shaping up for a 350-plus touch workload this season Alex you know one one concern is that he does not have the high efficiency yield you know handcuff behind him that we've had in recent years with Yeldon who you could draft for free as a nice bit of insurance on you know a player like Fournette who you invest so heavily in early in your draft and you have durability concerns you're not going to have that luxury this year you know a mitigating factor is that you're, you're getting Fournette at value right now and you know, it is going to be a rotational committee backfield behind him. If he goes down some kind of mixture of Alfred blue and Benny Cunningham and Ruckwell Armstead, the rookie, maybe even a Thomas Rawls. So I had, you know, I did have the chance to ask Fournette what's going to happen with all of, you know, the targets that TJ Yeldon 
you know, was getting in this offense the last couple of years and his work on third down. And Fournette essentially said that that work is going to get chopped up between, you know, the entire backfield. But that does, you know, by default mean that Fournette is going to inherit some portion of TJ Yeldon's workload from last season, which, you know, should only enhance his value further. Speaking of that interview, let's just go ahead and drop it in. Byron Lambert here with Jaguars running back Leonard Fournette. Leonard, I heard uh, this offseason you were training up in Wyoming. Yeah. And that's a very rugged place to train. I was just curious, what took you up there? Uh, my former coach at LSU, Ben and Eric. Uh, going back to the, my, the roots where I first started and got myself together. Uh, left, kind of dropped everything and everybody. And just focused on myself and my body and my career. You know what I mean? Uh, let me ask you, what are your impressions of Nick Foles so far working with him and playing with him? Man, he can he can remember the entire play and repeat it back so natural. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, he has a great arm, man, so he's a good dude. And uh, last but not least here, Leonard, with TJ Yeldon gone, do you see yourself picking up some additional slack maybe in the passing game this season? Yeah, I believe all our running backs, me, uh, Benny, Blue, Arquell, you know, I think everybody's going to play a part in that, man. That's going to open up a lot of things for us. And I'm just remembering, I did have one question I wanted to ask you ever since last year. Do you think you came back a little bit too early in that Jets game where you re-aggravated the hamstring? I think that was week four last year. Yeah, I did. I kind of rushed it. I wanted to be out there on my team. Uh, I practiced and it didn't pull, but I guess I kind of like tried to fully extend and it pull. So, yeah, I did. Thank you so much for your time, Leonard. We wish you the best season. All right, so Leonard Fournette, always good for him to take a little bit of time with us. Sounds like he's pumped up and ready to go. And, you know, we were talking about this. I forget who it was. Somebody in the industry we were talking to about this. And we were just saying it. it's, it's going to be the year that everybody gets off Leonard Fournette. It's going to be the year that he blows up and shows everybody what he is. And I'm not going to get off him, you know, not again this year. It's like you look at the players going around him. I, I you know, Damian Williams is going there now. I'm beginning to worry about him. I, I don't know how worried you are about Damian Williams and the new talk from Andy Reid that he wants to use a committee back like he used a couple times with Philadelphia, you know, saying he likes a whole lot of the whole lot of the aspects that he sees out of Carlos Hyde, Daryl Williams, and um, and Darwin Thompson there along with Damian Williams, who's missed a lot of camp. Melvin Gordon is sliding to the same area as Leonard Fournette. We just don't know what's going to happen with his holdout. I. Nick Chubb is going, what, like seven spots ahead of Leonard Fournette, and there has to be a little bit of worry about what happens with him once you know, Week 10 rolls around and Kareem Hunt is, 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 is available. So Leonard Fournette's just a guy, you know, you get him at the end of the second round, and if we can get him at value there, it's going to be uh, – it should be a boon for you. The only question is can he stay healthy because I don't see any other red flags sort of there in his way. What else there with the um, – what else there with the Jaguars? Like anything to, anything for us to even take a minute to sniff around in the receiving game, or should we just move on? Quickly on the Fournette stuff, Alex. I mean, all the signs are there. So I mean, it would really strictly would be irresponsible just to, you know, to malfeasance. Uh, yeah, it'd be malfeasance just to <laughs> malpractice to, to overlook it, right? You know, and to sweep it under the rug. And let's not forget, this is a similar trajectory to Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley had the the sophomore slump too, and then the huge third year. And we are talking about an elite prospect in Fournette, and I, I think that gets lost. Yeah, I, wide receivers. I think we just move on. I mean, it's a it's a wide receiver by committee. It's a wide receiver group. I think it's a group that fits the offense and what they're trying to do. They've still got some depth with guys like Keelan Cole, who maybe we need to 
keep in mind for the DFS preseason uh, cheat Haven't sheets. Have they seen I think enough of him? I Haven't just they think seen you, enough of that guy? Well, I mean, it feels yeah, like but at some point he's going to play in the preseason, right? Maybe for week one preseason they've seen enough, but – I mean, what he's the wide we've receiver. Already, we've already had week 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 one preseason for the for, that's, for the Jags. But, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So they didn't. He didn't get much action. So maybe they didn't need to see him in week one. He but, must have been one of the 35 guys that sat out. I'm not sure I saw him. If you're ball. saying he's competing for the Jags wide receiver three through five spot, I mean, you got to imagine he's going to get some decent uh, preseason run at some point. I, you know, I would think so. No, there's nobody to get excited about Marquise Lee still, you know, walking around like he's nowhere near contributing. So, you know, is he I healthy? Just, is he healthy? No, no, it does, does not look ready. Uh, no, he wasn't even practicing or anything. So this, this entire passing offense is just, uh, has been is a mechanism to, accentuate the the running game that this is a ground and pound team they want to return to what they did just two years ago in the afc championship and there's actually a lot of signs that i'm not sure they can go that far but a lot of signs that we will see them you know positively regress this year so that's that's the takeaway for the for the jaguars and then over on the Ravens side of the ball alex i mean we've been talking about this all week Everywhere we've been, for me, it kind of starts and finishes, begins and ends with Lamar Jackson. Uh, very, we saw him in the preseason game last night, and I actually think you know my notes from what I saw in the preseason game last night matched almost, you know, perfectly with what I had noted from practice, which was that Lamar Jackson is a functional and improving uh, passer. They're getting the ball out of his hand fast. Uh, he still has some inaccuracy and consistency issues on occasion. It's not, it's certainly not the predominant trait in his practices, but on occasion he still does like miss a wide open guy in the red zone that, you know, you're just, but you just remember like this, this, he's never going to be Tom Brady. Right. So that's not what you're expecting out of him. You got to build something different around him and, and unique. And that's what the Ravens are doing. You know, they're trying to build this pro style offense around him that kind of accentuates his best traits in the passing game. So they've looked back to what he does at Louisville and they've got him in the shotgun. They're getting the ball out quick. They want to stretch the ball vertically. Looks like they're going to eliminate, you know, most of that more intricate timing based complex intermediate, you know, quarterback wide receiver, you know, timing throws that I, that does not look like it's going to be a predominant part of the offense. It's going to be kind of a multi tight end, you know, run centric deal. And Alex and I've been talking all week about whether Lamar Jackson is going to be a scrambler or whether he's still going to be a runner and how important that is when we're, you know, putting together our fantasy projections for the season. And, you know, my opinion is it's somewhere in between he's, he's in the midst of that, progression and so that's still going to provide plenty of equity plenty of value plenty of fantasy production in our fantasy league so you know that's a that's a wheels up situation still for Lamar Jackson I just think it's going to look a little different you know I was telling Alex they got a lot of these run pass options that they're going to be running out of the shotgun formation it looks a little bit like zone read but you know it's really he's supposed to either hand it off or throw the football However, he's always got the third option on that play to run or, you know, what I consider, I think most will consider is going to look more like a scramble out of that formation this year. And then, you know, they're still going to have the zone read and design run type principles in there. 
and fundamentals in the offense. I think they're not trying to show too much of it in preseason, but I don't get the sense that it's going to be the core uh, principle of this offense. I mean, this is definitely a pro style offense. You know, the difference between this and what he did at Louisville is that it's just not going to be as spread out with four wide receivers. It's going to be the tight ends. It's going to be a couple of receivers. So I like what I saw so far out of Lamar Jackson, Alex, I think he's trending in the right direction as a passer to maintain viability as an NFL starter and for his career to look like it's on track in Baltimore. And I certainly think he retains a ton of fantasy value this year uh, at the end of our drafts. And I'm a, I'm a little more comfortable that I'm not just drafting a guy that's going to be a complete bust. The 2019 Roster Watch Cheat Sheet is available now at rosterwatch.com. The revolutionary cheat sheet to change fantasy football forever is back only at rosterwatch.com. Winning fantasy football players don't use outdated magazines or expensive draft software that's impossible to navigate. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. All you have to do is follow the three simple rules. That's it, three rules. Guys, it couldn't be easier. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet, an expert quality draft is guaranteed. It's magical, it's mystical, it's mythical. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet only at rosterwatch.com. And we just we just know with we just know with with Greg Roman, I mean, you can He's been good with running quarterbacks and he's been good with, you know, allowing those guys to be able to supplement the run game. I think it was he's had five full seasons as offensive coordinator and he's never his teams have never had, you know, a worse finish than like eighth in total rushing. I think it was. So, you know, they run a lot. They 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 dictate a lot of the playbook off of these runs. And I think it goes with what you're saying, Byron, the RPOs, the different kind of zone read stuff. And getting the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands a little bit more quickly, sort of taking some of the decision making away from him, letting him be a little bit more, kind of just kind of kind of kind of let him be him, you know, the same way that one I mean, two. Reads. I mean, the same way it was with with Tyrod, the same way it was with Colin Kaepernick. Like those were all Greg Roman offenses. So um, I do like the way that it looks for him, and I I like the way that the Ravens looked in their first preseason game too. Well, you know, as we kind of saw how that offense might be clicking when we did get to see the ones. So. Uh, well, let's talk. Can we talk about the position groups for a second here? Uh, the running backs. I mean, you hit on it. They're, they're going to run the ball a lot. So, the principal group is shaping up as a triumvirate between Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill. All three of them look good. Ingram certainly looks like the lead guy. Still very comfortable with my 275 touch projection for Mark Ingram. You know, puts him on square on the map as a. RB2 and certainly if like Gus Edwards or somebody ever goes down and he's got got room to perform you know better than that or or let's say Mark Ingram just gets starts getting absolutely sick he could be a hot hand thing where he earns a little more but I think you should chalk him up for 275 touches this year which puts you in that 15 to 18 touch per game range he's going to get work in the passing game so he's certainly going to be have some PPR viability he showed that in practice I think Gus Edwards is going to steal some from him uh, down in the red zone. Uh, It looks to me like Edwards is a guy who will probably, I think both Justice Hill and Gus Edwards shape up for 
you know, five to ten touches a game. You know, I could see those Edwards. Justice Hill touches are going to be worth a lot more than those Gus Edwards because they're going to come through the air, and he's just so much more explosive with the ball in his hands. Five to ten touches for Gus Edwards just seems like five to ten touches for a lumbering between the tackles jag. He can he's get not five as, touches he's for not 12 as lumbering yards. as you might think, Alex. I was actually a little bit impressed. I mean, I, I, once I saw him live, it made a little more sense how he earned so much time down the stretch and performed what about in comparison admirably. To Ingram? What about in comparison to Ingram, though? Ingram's the far superior player. Right? I mean, I mean he, by the eyeball test? Far superior player just based on how he can contribute in a three-down role and, you know, prob- and the more instinctive runner. But guess Edwards looks like a nice, pretty nice NFL runner back there. I mean, you don't mind. If, he's, if you're just a fan of your NFL team, you certainly don't mind that guy coming in, getting those five, ten touches a game. If you're a fantasy owner of Ingram, you know, it's, it's not the best news in the world. But if I, had to, if I had to draw it up right now, I'd say Mark Ingram, 15, 18, 20 touches a game. You know, Gus Edwards, five, six, seven to ten touches a game. Justice Hill, you know, five to seven touches a game, five to eight touches a game. Kind of a Darren Sproles type role. As a matter of fact, that's kind of who he looks like out there, just a little taller version of it. Uh, Justice Hill actually pretty rocked up, like thick legs, and uh, definitely flashed that speed out there. Um, he's showing if he can catch the football. So that's looking like a really nice backfield. That that well, they, running back. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, you think that Gus Edwards is going to get more touches per game than Justice Hill? Because if so, there's no reason to be drafting Justice Hill in, in, in redraft. Yeah, I if think If he's going so. to be third fiddle. At least to begin the season. Jesus Christ. Well, I need to make a note of that, too. No Justice Hill. I mean, I think at PPR, he's a fine player to get at the end of the draft, Alex. Five, five touches a game? That's not a fine player. To get in PPR. That's, well, there's been years where Darren Sproles has been owned with those five-day touches a game, and it's not like he was playable every week, but you could put him in on occasion. I get, I get where you're coming from, but that's, I think that's a reasonable expectation, at least early on in the season. Maybe that could change over the course of the season if injury strikes or if Ingram pulls away from Edwards and it becomes just an Ingram Justice Hill one-two punch, but Justice Hill all of a sudden starts looking like an Alvin Kamara or something out there. That that could happen, right? So if that happens, it's a much bigger workload in store. But I, that's, I, based on what I would say, what I saw, I would set my expectations at you know five to seven, five to eight touches, no more than five to ten touches a week for Justice Hill to begin the season. And I think Gus Edwards, with as much as they're going to run the ball in Baltimore, is. This is awful. Is, That's just is like locked into that, you know, five or ten a week for sure. Ugh, that Gus Edwards stuff. That's a that Gus Edwards stuff gives me a headache. Yeah, well, sorry to break the news, man. I was, um, but like I said, I I didn't. I would have felt disgusting about that beforehand, and you know, I've been very bullish on Ingram all off season, but leaving there just from a personnel perspective, I was like, okay, I can see why the Ravens, you know, want to get this guy. It's a long season. He's got a little juice. I can see why they want to get him in. And then for that running back four uh, spot, it looks like that's probably going to come down to some kind of Kenneth Dixon, maybe Tyler Irvin because of some special teams chops, uh, duking it out for what will likely be the last spot there uh, for running backs for the Baltimore Ravens. And then, uh, you know, the other thing to mention, Alex, I'd be interested, since you did all the work on the offensive lines, Watching the Ravens match up with the Jaguars, who are pretty good up front, 
I came away thinking these Ravens must have a pretty good offensive line this season. I don't have the I don't have the rankings pulled up. Let's see, do I? Yeah, offensive line unit rankings. Let's see. Um, Baltimore Ravens, middle of the pack. Middle of the okay. pack. Do you think they should be higher? I don't know. I mean, for a, I thought if they're middle of the pack, they performed admirably in, in two sessions against a pretty stout Jaguars front. So I, I'm not saying we need a lot of upward mobility, but certainly I was a respectable-looking offensive line. So, again, if you're looking to invest in Lamar Jackson or any of this, you know, running backs there, it's always nice. It's comforting to know that you have a, a decent offensive line. And then, you know, when we turn to the, the weapons in the past game for Lamar Jackson, Alex, uh, we do know that the lead guy – at the tight end position, probably across the board is going to be second year tight end Mark Andrews, who still looks very good out there and certainly like a security blanket uh, for Lamar Jackson. Uh, the play of day two was down in the red zone where Lamar Jackson just absolutely thread the needle with precision, uh, trajectory, touch, everything you're looking for to Mark Andrews. Uh, getting open in the back of the end zone and coming down with what was essentially a highlight reel, you know, one hand catch. So those, those two have it, you know, going on and that's a great connection. And Mark Andrews, uh, you know, really looks like the real deal after, you know, what, what he flashed last season. We shouldn't forget that Hayden Hurst, the first round draft pick from last year, he's healthy. He's getting quite a few snaps. Uh, with the first team and certainly getting his share of targets and looking much better himself. And we know Hayden Hurst was considered a, a pretty electric pass catcher, you know, even though he was an older prospect coming out last year. So seeing him get the targets and, and look good as well. And then I, I think the, you know, the part that you really got to factor in that nobody's thinking about is that tight end Nick Boyle, uh, I think most people are considering him an afterthought. He's very, very, very much a part of this first-team offense, uh, part of what this Ravens team is doing on offense, and of this tight end rotation. So he's going to get his share of snaps this year. He's a great blocker. I I thought it was so interesting because he was – I mean, we heard all offseason like the Jets were after Nick Boyle, like the I forget like the Broncos. There were all these teams that were after Nick Boyle. It's like what? Since when Wait. is this guy some kind of you know some sort of name that people want? But it's I mean, it's well, you know these crazy. guys in the leagues that the just like the um, uh, the pro scouts within the league. They're, they're, those guys as a group from team to team just have a general you know, grade on somebody that's much different than the public or people in our industry on the outside. Sometimes there's just guys like that, right, that, that insiders in the league, scouts within the league on the teams kind of cr- covet across the league. And look, Nick Boyle, what I'm saying is he has three-down capability, and he's especially a good blocker, which is why the Ravens like him, which would make sense why these other teams – we're so interested. It's, it's, it's not lip service. They really do run him out there on a whole bunch of plays with the first team and the second team, you know, almost essentially as much as Hurst and, you know, right there behind Andrews. So the, those snaps are going to get divvied up, you know, three ways to some extent. However, they are going to be running out two tight end, multi tight end sets. I'd say with regularity. So there might be enough to go around, but I, it, we have to just face the facts that you know, Mark Andrews' upside, as good as he looks, 
and he might be the best pass catcher and have the best connection of anybody on the team with Lamar Jackson. I mean, he still is in a timeshare with not only one, but probably two other tight ends to some extent this season, especially with the construct of the offense and how the Ravens want to play ball. And then you look over at the wide receiver uh, position. Right now, the starters are Chris Moore and Seth Roberts. Uh, that They're not going to be the starters for long. But I'll tell you what, Alex, let me tell you who the fringe fantasy guy to watch early in the year in PPR is. Uh, it's not going to be anything to write home about, but this is going to be fringe fantasy viable. I bet he'll be in the garbage grab. I bet he'll be a, a deep flex play in 16-team PPR leagues to is begin the season. Sneed? It's going to be Willie Sneed. He, is a he de- caught the touchdown a, last night. He's a de facto starter in the three-wide receiver set. I mean, he is their slot receiver. And when you, I mean, if you're talking about the Chris Moores and the Seth Roberts, I mean, Willie Sneed is the most accomplished of of those guys. And, again, they want to get the ball out fast. He loves throwing to these tight ends. Willie Sneed a- operates and acts as one of those outlets for Lamar Jackson. So Willie Sneed, a player that's not on anybody's draft products, nobody's talking about, you know, we don't, not somebody we want to, you know, get too excited <laughs> about. But we should be aware that Willie Sneed is going to be a deep waiver wire option this season and probably early in the season uh, for Baltimore. So that's a sneaky one. Of course we have. He's only going to be a good option until these rookies start breaking out, though, right? No, I think the rookies steal Chris Moore and Seth Roberts' jobs. So, I can't you know, believe Seth Roberts, they've moved him outside. That guy can't even get open in the slot. What's he doing moving outside? <laughs> it's crazy. It looks like a training camp body to me, right, as they're getting these other guys, as they're getting the young guys ready. So, I mean, if you look ahead and you project, eventually the starting wide receivers should be Hollywood Brown, Miles Boykin, who's looking outstanding in camp so far. We'll get to that. And then Willie Sneed in the slot. I mean, that's actually, if that comes together, that's that's a pretty interesting wide receiver group. So Sneed will be the veteran, you know, will be kind of the um, cornerstone potentially of the wide receiver group all year when you're talking about two rookies and Seth Roberts and Chris Moore. So it's a trash man play, but that's what we do all this for is to have the sharp plays. And that's one that other folks that don't do all this, they just flat out don't know about it, Alex. So we, well, we don't do all this to, to play the trash man plays, but we do do all of it so we can know what the hell is going on. You, you mentioned Miles Boykin and, before we get into talking about some of these rookies like Boykin and Marquise Brown, you got a chance to talk with Boykin. Let's just go ahead and put it in. Byron Lambert here with Ravens rookie wide receiver Miles Boykin. Miles, listen, one of the talks around camp is that you've been one of the stars of camp so far and have been looking really, really good the last few days. What do you think about your performance so far in training camp? Uh, I think I have a long way to go. You know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, whatever people say I'm doing now is uh, is fine and all, but you know, I, I'm not the type of person to settle for anything. Uh, I know I can play a lot better. You know, I'm still learning this game every day, and uh, I'm just a rookie. I'm getting better every single day, and you know, that's what I plan on doing. Well, looking back at how practices have been so far, where do you think you need to make the biggest adjustments coming from college to the pros? Uh, really just tightening up my fundamentals, uh, learning the game more, coverages, uh, techniques by corners. Uh, yeah, really just learning, you know. How difficult has it been facing these NFL DBs? Has that surprised you at all? 
Uh, no, because I knew I was going to be up for a challenge when I got here. Uh, you're playing against the best of the best. So uh, for me, it was, you know, take a grit, a grain of salt. You know, you gotta, you're going to lose some, you're going to win some. It's the highest level possible. So uh, for me, it's just more about being out here, being comfortable in what I'm doing and, you know, trying to win every, being competitive in everything I do. And then last but not least, what's it like catching passes from Lamar Jackson? It's crazy. It's crazy because, you know, you're watching him two years ago and uh, he's winning the Heisman and stuff like that. And uh, you envy players like that. You know, you see them play and they make everything look so easy. Um, he's a hard, extremely hard worker, but he makes everything look easy just because how athletic and talented he is. And he's smart. You know, I think that's a, that's a very underrated trait about Lamar. He's a very smart quarterback. Well, you Notre Dame guys are sure damn smart too, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. We wish you a healthy and prosperous season. All right, there you go. Seems like a nice kid. Smart kid, right? Smart. Yeah, instant takeaway. Instant takeaway is that how good of a kid Miles Boykin is, and how good of a head of his shoulders, uh, head on his shoulders he has, and how just smart he is. So when you put that together with the explosive, measurables and physical attributes that he has, all of a sudden you start to think, man, we're really working with something here. And that's exactly what we've seen on the field out of Miles Boykin, uh, explosive rookie wide receiver out of Notre Dame. We've said many times, if you like DK Metcalf, you should have liked Miles Boykin. He's come in and he's caught on quick. He's been able to separate. Heck, he burned Jalen Ramsey a couple times in joint practices. So he's been, been able to get open against everybody at times, uh, deep, intermediate, uh, you know, he, he, he said right there in the interview that he does recognize those fundamentals or something that he still needs to tighten up. So I don't know when you look at the roster, there's just nobody else like him on the team. He really gives Lamar Jackson, uh, the speed, but also the size and maybe some of that route running ability to give him a big target, deep intermediate, and also out on the edge. So miles Boykin catching most of the footballs coming his way. Really one of the uh, one of the real highlights, one of the storylines of Ravens training camp so far. So Alex, he looks like he's on a fast track uh, to enter this Ravens starting lineup uh, sooner than later. We saw him get nine targets, led the team with nine targets in preseason week one action last night, had a touchdown that was called back, but Miles Boykin looking like the real deal. And I believe a new golden sun has been born in the roster watch nation. 